0: After generations of bloody conflict, Rome finally relented and said, okay, we don't understand these people who only worship one God, but it's just not worth it to try to make them change. So we're going to make a concession only to this group, and the concession is instead of sacrificing to the emperor, they get to sacrifice on behalf of the emperor. They get to say a prayer for the emperor instead of praying to the emperor. When Christians come along, this new, strange, upstart sect out of Judea that took a century to decide if it was Jewish or not, Rome looked at that and said, okay, we can't let this get out of hand. These folks have to do what we tell them. They have to sacrifice to the emperor. And the Christians refused and because they refused they were persecuted sometimes in the beginning the persecution was fitful it was impulsive it was uh, not not very thorough you could move from one place to another and and escape uh, nero persecuted the christians uh, as a handy scapegoat another attempt to unify a fractured empire. If we make everybody have contempt for these weirdos who, who don't believe in Santa, then that unifies us. Later, persecutors, later emperors, persecuted in a much more systematic way. Peter, the apostle who wrote this letter, uh, church tradition tells, was executed under Nero. So Christians fled. They ran away from the persecution. They left one jurisdiction where they were persecuted and moved to another where they hoped to escape notice, and sometimes they did. And the more they fled, the more the gospel spread. This is something God does. Uh, In the beginning of the church, all of the people are gathered in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit comes on them and they are enjoying fellowship with each other. And why on earth would they leave? It isn't that they thought to themselves, oh, wait, we should take this news everywhere else. I'm sure that was a plan eventually. But they left because they were driven out. They were persecuted. Jesus uses our persecution, our suffering, as an instrument for spreading the good news of who Jesus is around the world. It happens over and over and over in history. It is happening today. So th- these Christians flee, and Peter writes to them being persecuted in the, di- uh, in the dispersion in, uh, he lists p- places in the beginning of the uh, letter, in modern-day Turkey. These Christians he's writing to live in modern-day Turkey, and he writes to encourage them, reminding them of the great hope they have in Christ, of grace and salvation and an eternity compared to which our present sufferings are fleeting. There is grief and pain in this world, and we endure it not only because... God uses it to redeem souls, but we endure it because we know it will end. There is an eternity with Christ that, in comparison to which, all of our sufferings pale. Eternity lasts so much longer than our lives here, and our eternity is in glory with God. The sufferings of today are nothing compared to the glory that is ahead. Peter saw Jesus live this way. Peter himself would go on to live and die this way. For the sake of Jesus Christ, Peter would not do what he was told, even by emperors, even to the point of death. And this man who would not do what emperors told him if it meant disobeying Jesus. He gives us this scandalous command that we read today. The command to be subject to every human institution. The command to obey slave masters. What is going on? Let's step back and look look at the context of what we're reading. Okay, our New Testament, that's the part of the Bible that was written after Jesus came, is is mostly made of two things. The Gospels, which are narratives about the life of Jesus, and the Epistles, which is a fancy old word for letter. Most of the letters are written by the Apostle Paul, and Paul had a format that he would use in his letters sometimes where near the end of his letter he would include what gets called household commands. Um, He would instruct people on how to live out their faith, even in the context of their home. Those commands were usually structured in pairs, husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves and masters. Now the Roman Empire in its day was the largest slave society that had ever existed, so far as we know. Its entire economy rested on the existence of a massive underclass of coerced labor. Rome would invade new places. Remember, the only thing Rome really cared about was the glory of Rome. The whole world is just resources to be used for the glory of Rome. Rome would invade new places and expand its borders, and everyone who resisted would be conquered, killed, or enslaved. Our own uh, nation's history with this particular evil has been entangled with the idea of race. Uh, it is a, a legitimate argument to have that our very concept of race was developed as an attempt to justify the greed of slavery, But the Romans enslaved everybody. The only thing Rome cared about was Rome. They enslaved everybody. There was no racist justification for slavery that they invented. Just, are you not Roman? Good, I'll take you. Rome was what mattered. Everything and everyone else was material used for the glory of Rome. So many of the early Christians were enslaved, living in slavery, that well-to-do Romans dismissed Christianity as the religion of slaves and women, two groups they had contempt for. In the household commands, Paul has to address how these people live out the faith in their household, and many of them were in that kind of household. But when Peter writes this letter... He changes the format. By the time Peter wrote this, Paul's letters were already read aloud throughout the churches. They were familiar. Even this notion of the household commands, that format would have been familiar. Peter changes it. In his letter to persecuted Christians living in the hope of Christ, instead of ordering it through the relationships most likely to reflect love. Paul begins with husbands and wives and then moves to children and parents. Peter begins with the relationships that are the most oppressive, and he breaks the pairing. He writes just to the oppressed. He begins with subjects of the empire. He moves from there uh, to slaves The Roman Empire was not a government that cherished the rights of its people. It had no bill of rights. There was little appeal or remedy if the government acted unjustly, and yet Peter urges submission to the laws of man for the Lord's sake. He begins something he's going to carry through in the commands to slaves, and that is when we are in an oppressive hierarchy where we are expected to submit Take that human element that you have to submit to and just dismiss it. It exists, and you have to deal with it in subjection. But your actions are all with a view to God. Everything you do, you do to God and for God, not to whatever human authority has been put over you in this oppressive hierarchy. He has taken the idea of Paul's household commands, but changed it. He's writing to people who experience their household life as suffering, as oppression and persecution. He uses words like beaten, suffer, reviled. This is not an instruction on how to form ideal communities. It's an instruction on how to endure the worst and still have hope. Well, where's the hope? It's not easy for us where we are to see it. But stay with me. Let's take apart his instruction. Remember, Christians are being persecuted for their stubborn refusal to do what they're told when it comes to religion. First, he says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Uh, Respect is a, a perfectly good translation here. It's used to describe the same word, how a righteous man feels about God, how a loving son feels about his father. It feels strange to our American ears here. But his command at the bottom of this, to people at the bottom of this oppressive hierarchy is to be subject to their masters respectfully. But not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. What? Isn't that worse? Well, Peter's command of respectful submission is sever your conduct from the conduct of your master. Don't believe the lie slavery tells that the master is all that matters. That master, remove him from the equation. You... Live a life of virtue. In a world of wickedness, the freedom of the Christian is our virtue. Our decision to live a holy life in the pattern of Jesus Christ, even when the world persecutes us for it, that is part of our freedom. Do not base how you live, he is saying to the enslaved people. Do not base how you live on how he lives. The soul that belongs to Christ, the person who has received with faith the good news of what Jesus has done for us, that soul is free. And that freedom calls them to a life of holiness regardless of circumstance. The so-called master is just another circumstance. In verse 16, Peter has summed up everything he's about to say when he says, live as people who are free. Are you subject to a tyrannical government? Live as people who are free. And that somehow includes you can keep their rules because they don't matter that much. Are you enslaved? Live as a person who is free. A person who is free lives a life of virtue. Slavery is an inherently corrupting institution. We've seen it over and over in history. It degrades human beings. Everyone touched by it. It degrades the slave owner who uh, no longer has the operation of law restricting his power over another human being. Ordinary sinful human beings need the power of law to keep us from behaving as badly as we can. It degrades the enslaved person whose uh, virtues are punished instead of rewarded. But if we live as though we're free, we say the suffering will not impede my virtue. I will be who I am no matter what you do to me. Your hierarchy can't contain me. I am a servant of Christ. I am free. Even in a captivity, I am free. Now in this hierarchical world of ancient Rome, slaves were at the bottom. But... What got confusing for Romans is sometimes a person was enslaved to a high official. And then even though officially that enslaved person is at the bottom of the hierarchy, in reality, everyone recognized they had an influence and a power that ordinary free citizens did not. If you are the person who dresses the emperor, the emperor listens to you in a way he does not listen to ordinary free citizens. Now, that's not a justification for that person's slavery, but it's what Paul is do- uh, Peter is doing when he says in this passage, I am a slave of Christ. I have upended your hierarchy because I am a slave. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ who created the world. I have the ear of the most influential individual there is. Your hierarchy cannot contain me. Now, the kind of free life in captivity that I'm describing, it's a hard thing to put into words. I'm not sure I'm doing it justice. I'm certain I'm not doing it justice. And I think we often learn more about it by watching other saints who have been through it. So let me take a moment to talk to you about Pastor Wang Yi, who is currently in prison serving a nine-year sentence in China because he's the pastor of a Christian church. This is our brother in Christ suffering in jail for our faith. Before he went to prison knowing that it was likely to happen, He wrote a letter to his congregation to make public if he disappeared for more than two days. And in the letter, he wrestles with this very subject. How can he be subject to a tyrannical government and yet be free in Christ? And he says things like, look up the letter online. It's it's definitely worth reading. But he says things like, I accept and respect the, communist, the Chinese Communist Party's regime as a temporary ruler allowed by God. Then he also says, I also believe that the persecution of the church by the Chinese Communist regime is an extremely evil crime. He will accept their authority, and he will speak the truth about their authority both at the same time. Pastor Wang Yi summed up the Christian response to an abusive regime in China with a sentence he taught his congregation. Serve the sentence, not the law. He has chosen in his captivity to take that suffering as something he lives out virtuously like Jesus in the hope of the coming glory, in the hope of the eternity where all wrongs are righted. For this is a gracious thing, Peter says in our text, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Peter tells us that it is better to suffer unjustly for wrongs we have not done than for wrongs we have done. How could that possibly be true? It's better to go to prison for something I didn't do than for something I did? Well, the answer is because when we are persecuted, when we are punished for living righteously, when we are punished unjustly, that is when we are most like Jesus We are united with Jesus in his suffering. He is with us when we are in that situation. Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. Our Savior came as a servant, uh, the form of a slave, Philippians tells us, subject to human laws, an ordinary man in an unimportant corner of a vast empire that valued only itself. He was condemned by human courts, executed by human soldiers. He came as one of us to free us from our greatest slavery, the slavery of sin, which has brought death into the world. When we receive with faith what he has done for us, we receive a freedom that is real and eternal and even overcomes death. It cannot be taken away. Not by courts, not by force, not by judges, not by armies, not by anything, any of the powers that claim to be masters over us. They cannot take away the freedom of your soul you have in Christ. And you exercise that freedom every time you live righteously, no matter what consequences they try to put on you. But the evil one hates that freedom. Evil is not capable of creating, but it twists. And The forces of evil will twist whatever it can to ensnare us again, and that includes even the words of Scripture. And so this passage, which is giving the hope of true freedom to enslaved people, has been used in American history to try to keep people in slavery. Evil will twist whatever it can. It will twist the humility of Jesus Christ and his endurance to say that you should bow to evil, that evil isn't evil, that oppression isn't oppression, that a false abuse of authority is a righteous, legitimate one, and you should just be quiet and take it. But remember, Pastor Wang Yi, serve the sentence, not the law. Like Jesus trusting ourselves to him who judges justly. When we suffer unjustly, we participate in Jesus' crucifixion. Now, crucifixion only has meaning because there is a resurrection and glory. Every crucifixion implies the promise of the resurrection. Every time you suffer unjustly, every time you endure something that is unfair, it comes with that quiet promise whispered into the heart of every Christian. The resurrection is coming. The glory of God will come to earth and all wrongs will be righted. Pastor Wang Yi will be freed from prison, hopefully before Jesus comes back but there will be others. And we can endure knowing Christ will return in glory. This suffering is temporary. Now, let me be clear. Live as people who are free. Uh, Do not allow evil to twist this notion of being subject to human institutions into getting you to capitulate to evil. A few weeks ago, Pastor Drew uh, mentioned the example of Ravi Zacharias. Now, for folks of my generation, he was very important for some of us in our understanding of the faith. He was a Christian teacher who, it turned out, was secretly a predator. And one of the things he told the victims he preyed upon was... If you tell the truth about me, you will be responsible for damaging the faith of millions. This is a lie from hell. Serve the sentence, not the law. Be subject to authority, but tell the truth about the authority. And when someone is abusing you and claiming that his authority means you have to keep your mouth shut... It's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. If you are being abused by someone in authority, you need to know you are not in charge of changing your abuser. God can use that to change your abuser. It happens. But you're not in charge of it. It's still God who does it. You are not going to come up with some way to live that undoes evil. That's Jesus' business. That's what he came for. So let me say that again. If you are in an abusive situation, you are not in charge of changing your abuser. But God can use your suffering to change people. The, the church in China, uh, one of the books that's changed my life, uh, is The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. And Nick Ripkin traveled the world after a personal uh, faith crisis. He traveled the world to interview persecuted Christians and find out why does sometimes uh, persecution kill a church and sometimes the church thrives under it. And one of the places he went to was China. And China has, uh, using... Uh, the idea we have of being subject to authority, China has perfected a method that uh, in the West is called paper persecution, right? They just make you get a license for everything, a permit for everything, every religious activity. You've got to, you know, fill out government paperwork for it, knowing they're going to deny it. But then when they tear down your church building when they throw you in jail they get to say to the west well we're not persecuting christians he just didn't he just didn't uh, get a permit for that church building and it takes some of the heat off of them well There's been so many efforts by the Chinese government to control their citizens that Nick Ripken asked one of the pastors there, I don't understand, how is the gospel still spreading with all of these controls placed on you? I mean, where's where are the people you're witnessing to? How do you even get anyone to hear you? And the pastor he spoke to said, Oh, well, most of our converts were our prison guards. Now... Persecution there is so severe, he said, that uh, you're not considered and you can't be an elder in your church until you've been to jail. Now, I'm on the Congregational Nominating Committee. I, We have a hard enough time getting folks to say yes sometimes. I don't know what would happen if I said, okay, but first got to serve six months in Hamilton County Jail. And yet, prison guards are the people converting? God can use your suffering as a witness to others. Don't let that be twisted into thinking it means you're in charge of converting that other one. When were you ever able to convert somebody? That's Jesus who does that. Let Jesus use you. Don't put yourself in the place of Jesus. And so we are left with this instruction. Live as people who are free. Be the person God calls you to be. Live the life he calls you to live, even when... All of the circumstances around you punish you for it. And like Jesus, trust in him who judges justly because he is coming back and he will set this world to rights. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I would like to lead you now in our pastoral prayer. I would ask all of you to please pray for our persecuted Christians around the world.